All right, boys and girls, episode 91 with Dr. Mark is about to start. And just a heads up, this episode was recorded in person and my dog was in the room and she decided to bark multiple times and I tried to edit it out as much as possible. So if things seem kind of PC, I apologize, but this episode is jam-packed with a lot of great information, especially about chiropractic care and how Dr. Mark rehabs other people, and also some cool stuff about concussion testing and rehab on that front and how to get someone from concussion back onto the field, ice, or whatever sport they're playing. So here we go. Episode 91 is about to start. Let's do this thing. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Cut the Shit, Get Fit. I'm your host, Rafael Matuszewski, and joining me today is a good friend of mine, Dr. Mark Maloney. Say hello. Hey, guys. Uh, So this is a first episode where I'm doing it in person with the other guests, so this should be interesting. Also, another thing to note is that I am fighting a cold, so if my voice breaks out or I sound like a 14-year-old girl or a boy going through puberty, I'm sorry. Um, So let's get this thing started. Uh, Mark, what do you got planned for the weekend this uh this weekend is a uh, family weekend, uh, doing some uh, Christmas events. Uh, the wife planned a bunch of Christmas stuff. She's a Christmas nut, so uh, so we get to hang out with uh, the two little guys and uh, and the wife this weekend. So as well as I have a football team that's uh, that's playing in a uh, championship game on Sunday. So I awesome. got to go be the team doc for the uh, football team. Awesome. So, uh, so for the audience, can you tell them who you are, what you do, and how did you get into this industry? So my name is Mark Maloney. Um, I am a chiropractor, um, and uh, I have a degree in uh, kinesiology from the University of Victoria. Um, I also have my certified strength and conditioning specialist through the NSCA. <clears throat> so originally, when I uh, uh, when I started my university career way back when I had hair and uh, was good looking, I um, I started just taking general studies and uh, I got into the anatomy and physiology and uh, we had some great professors uh, for anatomy and physiology. I really enjoyed the anatomy and physiology side of things uh, and that sort of led me to get my kinesiology degree. <clears throat> uh, at the end of five years after getting my kinesiology degree from the University of Victoria, I uh, had graduated, I was excited, I remember coming out of my last exam saying, yes, I'm a kinesiologist. And going what the heck does a kinesiologist do? Like, what did I, I got my degree in kinesiology, but I had no idea what I did. At the time as well, when I graduated, kinesiology was sort of an evolving field. There wasn't many jobs out there. Uh, But I worked at a a desk, a gym desk, uh, and I got paid 17 bucks an hour. And uh, I saw some of the trainers that were uh, that were training out of the gym. They were getting paid fifty bucks an hour, and some of the trainers that were training at the gym got their certifications in uh, a few uh, few weeks or a few months of of training through uh, different levels of training. And they were charging fifty, sixty, seventy bucks an hour. And I was sitting at the desk making seventeen bucks an hour as a kinesiologist, you know, answering questions. Gee, I, maybe I should get into training. So. I started my uh, first little bit of doing personal training um, through uh, some entry-level courses and uh, learned all of the stuff that I do absolutely nothing with now. Uh, Stuff like squatting only to 90 degrees and bench pressing with your arms at 90 degrees and not going past certain joint angles because you might blow an ankle or a knee. Um, So I learned all that and started training people. And... uh, that's sort of what, what led me on to getting uh, my uh, certificate through the uh, National Strength and Conditioning Association because I wanted to know a little bit more. And then from there, I went on to uh, to do some programming for uh, some strength and conditioning programming for uh, some university sports teams and uh, some co- competitive sports teams. Um, but what I, what I was really curious about was uh, learning more about uh, why someone's squat looked different than another person's squat, uh, why someone could deadlift 400 pounds but someone else couldn't deadlift at all, uh, why 
some people could snatch or power clean uh, 100 kilos uh, and uh, why some people couldn't get past 70. So uh, the other thing too was why did some people get injured doing certain things and uh, other people seem more resilient. So that's what led me to get my degree in, in chiropractic. And uh, from there, I've gone on and I've practiced uh, chiropractic for, it's been eight years now. And uh, so that's sort of the, the mainstay of, of, uh, of what I do. Um, I do a sports spin on things. Uh, so I base part of my practice on uh, working with sports teams. Uh, I currently work with uh, three uh, sporting organizations locally here. Um, so I'm the, the team doc for uh, the three uh, local teams here. Um, and it's been great. It's been great for my practice. It's been a great experience uh, dealing with on-field and, and off-field uh, stuff and, and injuries, as well as connecting with uh, like-minded professionals like yourself. Awesome. Um, going back to when you were a personal trainer, like what was your favorite part about that field before getting into chiropractic? I think one of the favorite parts was actually getting the paycheck at the end of the day and, uh, and realizing how much more I made rather than sitting at a, a desk answering, uh, answering questions. Um, but uh, no, part of it was uh, the interaction uh, with, uh, with clients. Uh, I had a number of different clients. Uh, I had uh, a clients that were athletic. I had uh, injury rehabilitation clients. Uh, I even had uh, a couple of uh, autistic uh, Asperger's uh, clients. Um, and I found just interacting, um, it's similar how I practice in chiropractic too. Uh, each client needs something slightly different. You can't just run the same programs with everyone. And it's very similar to, I, I learned a lot and can apply a lot of it to my chiropractic as well. But that was one of the best parts with uh with training people was uh, the interaction with the people and trying to figure out what worked best for uh, each individual. Okay. Um, going through your, like, Kines degree, looking back at it now, what would you change for, like, the curriculum? Because I find that a lot of kids now go through school and they want to become trainers or physios or chiros, but when they get on the training floor, they almost don't know what to do. So I was kind of curious what your opinion was, like kind of looking back at it, like what would you change or maybe add into it and kind of go from there? I think that's a great question because part of what I think is is the issue with the kinesiology programs or uh, part of at least when I went through is that you get so pigeonholed. It's almost like you're staring into a box where you only know a certain amount of stuff. Uh, it's tip of the iceberg stuff, right? You kind of have to dig a little bit deeper, but coming out of school, you know this little, uh, the, all of this information, but uh, it's like having blinders on. Uh, you can't see... Uh, uh, the, the bigger picture and I think that's probably probably part of where I got lost was like yeah I graduated with my kinesiology degree but I have no idea what that means and what I can do with this right so heck I didn't even know at the time that I could do personal training just getting a kinesiology degree that's why I had to do my personal training certificate um, I think the biggest thing and one of the things that I do because right now I take on uh, student interns through, uh, through local universities here uh, to show them what they can do with their degree and to prove to them that there are jobs out there uh, once you get their degree, once you get your kinesiology degree. In fact, I've hired uh, two uh, kinesiologists uh, that have graduated locally here and, and brought them in and they work with me closely with uh, some of the sporting organizations that I, that I work with. So I think I wouldn't change too much in terms of the curriculum, um, but I think a, a big thing that could be added to programs is a, is a mentorship uh, or having someone show you real life application of what kinesiology actually is. So when you graduate, you go, oh, I, I get it. I, I understand what this kinesiology thing is and I know the different directions that I can go with it. Yeah, I think uh, mentorships are kind of overlooked almost. And like I know in the States, you can go to like Mike Boyle Strength and Conditioning as an intern or Exos in Arizona as an intern and learn a lot in even a month. And you'd probably be ahead of a lot of different university students trying to make it out there as a coach. I just wish Canada had something like that, a big facility where you could just learn how to coach people and be around athletes and see how different people move because everyone's an individual. But I don't know if this is my opinion. 
I, I totally, I totally agree. I mean, it's it's the whole analogy of uh, like throw you in the deep end of the pool and and you know see how you can swim. I kind of feel that's that's the way when when you get released from university and even chiropractic. When when I got out of uh, out of my chiropractic degree when I when I graduated, you're kind of just thrown into the deep end. Hey, you got your degree. Here you go. Good luck. And you kind of get thrown in the deep end of the pool. Now, if you have someone there to tell you, hey, this is how you swim. It's more helpful than just being thrown and try to figure out how to swim yourself, right? You struggle for a little bit. And I, I feel like kinesiologists, trainers, uh, people that don't have any sort of guidance, they sometimes don't know where to look for answers and don't know where to go. Um, and uh, I think that's one of the well, it's one of the reasons that I, I started sort of like an internship program. I want to show people that there there is a place to go, and, and you can go into medicine, you can go into physiotherapy, you can go into chiropractic, you can go into osteopathic, naturopathic, wherever you want to go. Or you there is there is the opportunity to work as a kinesiologist. You can branch off and go into athletic therapy, or you can do strength and conditioning. You can do training. There's tons of avenues. You just have to have someone show you which path which path would be best for you. How long were you training for again? Uh, I think uh, after I graduated my with my kinesiology degree, it was about three months that I got my, uh, it's a local certification, the BCRPA certification. Um, and uh, after that, I believe it was about another year or two before I got my CSCS. So I think uh, my total time training would have been three to four years after I'd graduated Um with my degree in kinesiology. Nice. Do you think that, like, as a chiro, you kind of have, like, an edge to other chiros that don't have a training background because you were actually physically moving people and getting them to deadlift and squat and everything like that? I think it's it's helpful. I don't know that it gives me an edge. It just gives me a different perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, I see some things that some other people may not see. Uh, I've also experienced some stuff, you know, like uh, lifting heavy weights, uh, hurting your back, lifting heavy weights, uh, aggravating your shoulder, doing heavy bench press, uh, doing power cleans, uh, doing deadlifts, uh, knowing what it feels like on your knees. Uh, I, I think that gives me an advantage because when patients come in and they say, oh, you know, I was doing a, a heavy deadlift and I felt this in my back. Like, you know, what? yeah, actually, I know what I know what you're talking about because I felt that, too, when I did uh, a heavy deadlift. Uh, this is what I think your problem is, and this is how I think we can we can fix it. So I think that the the strength and conditioning, the training, uh, has has given me a different perspective on uh, how to better treat people as a chiropractor. Nice, because I know like now there's a lot of physios out there and even chiros where they're getting a lot more you know CrossFit patients, and then they'll come in and say, "Hey, I did a clean to jerk with." I don't know, 200 kilos and this happened and they kind of just look at them like, I don't know what that is, but let's just, let's just see what happens when I treat you. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of cool to have a chiro or a physio that has a training background. So when someone comes in and says, Hey, I did this exercise, you're like, Oh, I know exactly what you mean. Let's do this. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's stuff too, where, uh, I've got a torn meniscus in my knee. Uh, it's not severe, but it's, it's torn. Uh, I've had orthopedic, uh, people look at it, uh, and their suggestion is to continue to train, to work out until it limits me to the point that I, I need surgery. Uh, I've been dealing with that for, for 10 years. So when I have patients come in and say, I have this knee pain, I can feel it when I go up and down the stairs, uh, sometimes it aches after sports, says, yeah, there's a chance that it might be torn. Uh, you know, here are some treatment options. Uh, maybe we look at getting an MRI if it's, if it's a possibility. But having experienced what a torn meniscus in the knee is like uh, and knowing uh, how to describe it and when patients describe it to me, uh, I feel like it helps me in terms of uh, things that I can uh, planning on things that they can do. Well, maybe we just don't squat 400 pounds anymore, uh, right? Do you need to squat 400 pounds, right? If it's something you need to do, maybe we need to get you through that before we look at surgery being an option later on down the road, right? So it helps me with, with planning. Yeah, definitely. Um, so at what point when in your training career, you decided to go down the chiropractic route and what kind of made you think like, hey, this is for me and I want to dive into it head first and 100% it's going to be a good decision for me? Uh, truth is, uh, I guess because uh, my options were medicine, uh, physiotherapy and chiropractic. Uh, I wrote my MCATs, um, and, and, uh, I performed average probably at best on my MCATs. Uh, there was a chance of getting into med school, but 
part of, uh, uh, I, I, I had a fear that, uh, I would fail in med school. Um, because I know, uh, I had friends that, uh, told me how hard it was. Uh, looking back, it's one of the things that I actually wish I gave a, a chance to is to actually try to get into med school and to go through a, a medical program. Um, now within saying that, uh, I'm glad I went the chiropractic route because, uh, I, uh, I consider myself a little more mechanistic. Um, I like knowing the biomechanics behind things, why people hurt their backs, why people hurt their, their knees, uh, uh, you know, why injuries happen. Um, and, uh, uh, well, for instance, to break it down for you, um, injury, injury in its simplest state can be broken down to uh, when your the stress over any given tissue is greater than the tolerance for that tissue to bear stress. So think about it. Uh, think about a bone, right? If you had a bone and you bent a bone, because bones bend, you bend it to a certain to a certain rate, or you put a certain amount of force through that bone, it'll bend. But beyond that point, that 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 stress point or that tolerance for it to bend, it'll break, right? And that's how any tissue, regardless of whether it's an ankle sprain, uh, a fracture, uh, a, a, a joint tear, or a muscle strain, um, that's how that's how tissues are are damaged. So, but um, to get back to your your previous point, you know, why did I choose chiropractic? Uh, I, I chose that because of what I saw as a little bit more of a mechanistic model. I went to chiropractic school in Canada, um, and they had a little bit more of a mechanistic, uh, evidence-based slash evidence-informed model. Uh, and uh, going through the curriculum, I thought it would be the best fit for me. Um, and uh, I, I enjoyed going through the program. Um, it's, it's led me to where I am today. I'm quite happy with, uh, with the, the degrees that I've, I've, uh, I've earned today. So. Okay. For anyone out there that's kind of considering chiropractic school, like what kind of advice would you give them if they're kind of on the fence and they don't really know what to do and are kind of just in limbo? Like what would you tell them? Uh, I would tell them to get a bunch of opinions from different chiropractors and try to find like-minded individuals, whether it's strength and conditioning, chiropractic, physio, uh, even medical doctors, um, and get their take on, on things. Get a whole bunch of in information, gather a whole bunch of information to find what's going to be the best fit for uh for, for that individual, uh, just I actually met with my current intern staff uh, uh, last week, and uh, some of them talked about uh, entering physio school, uh, and I asked them why physio over chiropractic, and uh, some of them said that they felt like the opportunities might be greater with physio over chiropractic, and I totally agreed with them. Uh, being a physio here in Canada, it allows you the opportunity to work in hospitals. Right. If that's something that you want to do is rehab or cardiac cardiac rehab, that sort of stuff, physiotherapy will allow you to be able to get in, whereas chiropractic won't. Uh, chiropractic typically in, in Canada is private practice. Right. So mm -hmm. you're you're working for or starting your own private practice. But uh, that's something that interested them. And, and that was the direction. So I encouraged them. I told them I and I, I have uh, I currently have a couple of my old interns that have applied to and gotten into physio school that nice. I've written recommendations for. Awesome. So um, the other question I wanted to ask is, like, is there any difference between a chiro school here in Canada or in the States? Like. Does it differ at all, or? That's a great question. Yes, it does differ. Uh, I I'm probably not well enough educated on uh, the American curriculum, uh, but I do know that uh, they do some different stuff, including different techniques uh, in some of the schools in the states. Um, and it differs greatly with which schools you go to. Uh, I believe there's uh, about eight or ten chiropractic schools in, in the States, um, and each school teaches a slightly different version uh, of chiropractic. Um, being in British Columbia uh, and having some of my colleagues go to uh, Western States uh, University, which is a chiropractic college in Portland, uh, I understand a little bit more of the curriculum there, and it's similar to uh, to some of the curriculum at chiropractic school in, in Canada. 
So, but what I'm seeing, at least in Canada, um, and with the direction of my association, my local association, and, and my national association, is uh, chiropractors are going towards an evidence-informed practice. Uh, we're trying to be a little bit more mainstream, uh, be more knowledgeable about uh, orthopedics. We, we, we in Canada want to be neuromusculoskeletal um, experts, if you will, uh, nerve conditions, um, and that sort of stuff. Okay. So sorry for my dog uh, barking because she's very hyper and does not like when people come into our house, but I'm going to try to edit that out if I can. Um, the other thing I was going to ask is like, how did chiropractic like treatment start? Like if you know what year it started and what was the kind of like theory behind it and how did it all start? So yeah, so that's uh, it's a it's a good question, and with all due respect to my alma mater, uh, the chiropractic history class was one of the l- lesser interesting classes and probably lesser well attended classes of of all of the classes in chiropractic college. But uh, basically, chiropractic started down in the states, from what I remember of my history class, uh, chiropractic philosophy and history. Um, chiropractic started down in the states uh, by a gentleman named D.D. Palmer. Um, him and his brother BJ Palmer um, they uh, they believed in treating the um, spine for various conditions um, and I think they they had a certain amount of success with treating people's spines and uh, helping people uh, I th- from what I understand and what I remember from history class that the chiropractic profession and the medical profession ran fairly parallel for a while in terms of uh, power um, but uh, chiropractic profession took a little bit of a uh, downturn um, as the medical association grew in power and strength uh, they didn't agree with chiropractic treatment and philosophy um, and uh there was, uh, uh, I guess, uh, a sort of like a separation between uh, the medical side of things uh, and chiropractic, uh, and chiropractic took its own path. And I believe part of the reason was because uh, chiropractic believed that uh, they could treat virtually any condition, you know, uh, from uh, things like asthma and, uh, and, and all of that. Uh, and there, there are certain reasons why that the nervous system may be tied to different conditions. Um, but the hard thing is finding evidence of that. Now, I think traditionally, um, some of the chiropractic treatments where people do believe that they can treat uh, certain conditions, um, there's still that, that theory out there. And uh, I believe it's, in my opinion, to the detriment of the chiropractic profession. Um, and this is where I believe that uh, my profession is pushing to be more of the neuromusculoskeletal, like neuromusculoskeletal uh, sort of expert, if you will, um, where we can deal with stuff like uh, back pain, neck pain, shoulder pain, knee pain. So dealing with anything related to joints, bones, uh, nerves, muscles, uh, and that's sort of where our expertise lies. Um, I see it all the time where a patient will hurt their back, lifting something or other, or bending over to pick something or other up. And they go to a hospital, they spend five hours in the waiting room, uh, they go in and are assessed by a, uh, a medical doctor, um, and uh, they might get some imaging, some x-rays, or maybe a CT, and nothing usually shows up, and the doctor goes, well, gee, it looks like you're fine. So they just spent six hours in a waiting room to be told that they're fine, except for the fact that they can't stand up straight, or their back hurts, right? And then they see me or they see a physio or, or someone else who's a little bit maybe more well-versed in, in what their issues may be. And I usually, I see those patients say, oh, I know exactly what happened. So this is what happened and this is how we can go ahead and, and treat it. And, and usually you can get the patient feeling a little bit better leaving that day and say, well, gee, why did I spend five hours in a hospital? If we could get all of those people out of the hospitals or going to doctor's offices, it may, might help, in my opinion, streamline some of the medical system. So. Okay. Yeah, the other thing I wanted to get into is like, 
it's almost like naturopathic doctors because the, the story that you gave is very similar to naturopathic medicine where a lot of medical doctors back in the day used the same methods and then they went through a series of voting and research to see which methods actually worked and what didn't. And the ones that didn't work, if they still practiced it, then they would lose their license. And then there was this other group of doctors that are like, it does work, but we can't prove it in the evidence and we want to continue using it. So they became naturopathic doctors and then medical doctors. So it's kind of interesting how that whole story with Kairos almost kind of went down the same route. Mm-hmm. And it kind of like seemed as some people now look at Kairos like almost like wishy-washy, like that stuff doesn't work, kind of like how naturopaths are. But if you find someone that you know that's seen a naturopath or a Cairo and they swear by it, there has to be something to it. So I'm kind of curious to what you think like, why do people kind of feel scared or intimidated or like, oh, that doesn't work if I go see a Cairo, in your opinion? Uh, some of it is the belief of uh, whether a person can help you. And the truth is, if you don't believe that I can help you, then there's a good chance that I'm not going to be able to help you no matter how good or bad your back is. Uh, if you don't like Cairo, um, you know, it's going to it's gonna make my job more difficult. Now, with that being said, because there's so many different techniques and there's so many different types of chiropractor I, I, chiropractic uh, and chiropractors out there, I actually had a patient present to me um, uh, a couple of weeks ago. She'd seen four chiropractors previously, and each of the four times she left the office feeling worse than uh, she'd felt, and she'd sweared, she, she swore she'd never go back to uh, another chiropractor ever again. Uh, however, uh, I started seeing her son for, uh, for certain reasons, uh, for injuries, uh, sports injuries. Uh, and her son was like, you know what, just go see this guy. This guy's a nice guy. He's been helpful with me. Just go see this. Well, I guess her, bad, her back got bad enough that she says, okay, well, whatever. I'm willing to do just about anything. Um, I made her a promise that uh, uh, I'd get her feeling better before she left the office. Uh, I tried some different techniques on her, not traditional chiropractic techniques. Uh, she left the office feeling better, and now she's uh, she's a current patient. Uh, she's uh, she's been she's been doing really well, um, and she's quite happy with treatment. So, with this lady, I've used some non-traditional chiropractic techniques, uh, including sort of some movement-based therapies uh, that I've learned at, at, at other courses and, uh, we've had some great results with her. Uh, and now she believes in, in what I do uh, and I've changed her perspective on chiropractic. Um, <clears throat> so, I mean, the interesting thing is, uh, I guess to, to go back to answer your question is if you don't believe that chiropractic is going to work for you, then I'm going to have a hard time working with you. Uh, part of it too is that there are n- numerous chiropractic just as there's numerous physiotherapy techniques and some techniques work better than others I've had patients that I've treated that don't like what I do um, and they feel like maybe what I've done is, is made them worse but I've had numerous others that uh, they do like what I do and uh, they feel like I'm help I'm, I'm helpful and, and I've made them better so I, I think a big thing is, is what your perspective on, on what you believe would help. Uh, we did go through this. I, I mean, I, I could speak to this too. I know some of my colleagues would probably kick me for doing this, but um, uh, we spent uh, time in chiropractic school going through the placebo effect. Um, and what the placebo effect is, is uh, your belief in what you uh, think will be helpful or not. So the placebo effect is uh, if I had two pills in my hand and and one was uh, a pain reliever and another was a sugar pill um, and uh, you had a headache and I told you that one of these pills would help and you picked the sugar pill and you said, oh, hey, you know what? My headache feels a lot better, right? Uh, The sugar pill has really no therapeutic effect on you but you believe that taking the pill is is what helps part of chiropractic is the belief that that uh, part of any treatment doesn't matter whether it's chiropractic physiotherapy strength and conditioning part of any treatment is the belief that what you're doing will be helpful so and that's 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 a big it's it it is it is a factor um i believe a, a big factor is is to uh you know what uh what a patient believes will help uh, and how it affects therapy. Yeah, like I think it's individual for everyone because I think when I had Dean Somerset on the show, I asked him because he works with a lot of rehab people, like which one do you prefer, physio or chiro? And he's like, well, it really depends on the individual, like which 
one they get most relief from. And like for me personally, like I've done physio for years. And then when I met Mark, I started seeing him like I would get faster relief in a sense where like he would adjust me and it almost feels like I'm like more alert. My nervous system's like up and running and I feel like I want to work out and lift something heavy. Whereas physio, because they the ones that I go see, they do primarily a lot of dry needling. And I feel like I would take a nap after getting needled in my lats or in my groin. And I'm like, holy crap, like I don't want to work out. So I think it's really individual. Like I've met, like I've trained clients where they're like, chiro doesn't work, physio doesn't work, but massage makes me feel better. So I think, yeah, it's kind of like individualized for everyone. Yeah, very individual. And I work with all types of practitioners, massage physiotherapy, <clears throat> chiropractic, naturopath. Uh, I have a network of people that I refer people to. There's things that I, I can't do in my profession, uh, particularly here in British Columbia. Uh, I can't do any dry needling. Uh, and I would refer out for that if I deemed that would be necessary or I thought that there would be therapeutic value for a patient for that. Uh, right, just as a physiotherapist would probably refer to me if they thought that maybe like a, a cervical neck adjustment or like a, uh, any sort of adjustment uh, would help someone's spine. Uh, physiotherapists may not be as well versed in that and maybe uh, a little less inclined to treat someone that way. Uh, same thing with, with massage. Massage, they may have a better treatment style for any given muscle. Uh, they may be able to, to, to treat a, a, a strained muscle better than I would. So I, I, I have no issues referring out because, again, what the issue is, is is really what's best for the patient. I think that's the biggest thing that any practitioner or, or trainer or therapist needs to keep in mind is, is what's in the best interest of the patient. Okay. The other thing I wanted to get into is a question from – Facebook out of a group called E Train Progress and shout out to those guys. But uh, Joanna Duncan asks, uh, I favor physiotherapy and orthopedic surgeons over chiropractors for several reasons. My question is whether your friend feels that chiropractors are misleading people when stating doctor in front of their name. Yes, they have a doctorate in chiropractic care, but they are not medical doctors. And my view is that this is misleading to the uneducated. I understand that my question is not supportive of your friend's profession, so I totally understand if you choose not to ask him. But we're asking anyway because I asked him beforehand. He's like, yeah, let's go do this thing. No, I I love this question. Um, And uh, I I think the the best way to answer it is that uh, I've been in school for eight plus years. Uh, I I have earned the title doctor, Um, uh, just as any medical doctor has. uh, I've earned the right to diagnose. Uh, My own philosophy on that is I never ask people to call me doctor. I am no better than any other person. Um, People just call me Mark. Raf calls me Mark. Uh, I introduce myself as, as Mark. Uh, doctor doesn't mean I'm any, any better or any worse. And, and uh, again, I, I don't feel that it's misleading. Um, I work with a number of other professions, physiotherapy, uh, naturopath, massage therapy, uh, and even with some of the sports teams, uh, there's orthopedic surgeons that I talk to. Uh, in terms of what I do as a, as a chiropractor, um, uh, especially on the sports side of things and dealing with sports injuries, um, I feel that I am just as well versed as most orthopedics, uh, most people in orthopedics. Uh, I do all of the same tests. Uh, I read about all of the current literature on what orthopedic tests are best. We all know that orthopedic tests aren't very good at, uh, they're, they're helpful in gathering information, but there's a lot of orthopedic tests that aren't very good. Uh, they don't have very good re- reliability or validity for, um, for doing uh, tests and di- making a diagnosis off, off orthopedic tests. So we gotta, kinda gotta gather as much information as we can from these orthopedic tests. And I feel I'm just as well versed as any other orthopod or physiotherapist to to do that. And maybe that's because of my training and my background and where I've decided to go with, with my career. Uh, I, I mean, I do, I do uh, offer people traditional chiropractic treatment, but uh, again, my treatment approach is to get you moving, to keep you moving, to return you to play faster than, um, faster than you would if you had to do things on your own. 
but no, I, I don't believe that having doctor in front of my name misleads people at all. I don't claim to do any medical stuff. In fact, uh, here in Canada, we're not allowed to uh, discuss anything to do with uh, drugs or uh, things that are related to drug. Even if you ask me, should I take Tylenol or should I take Advil for my condition? Um, I'm actually not allowed to speak as to what you're allowed to take. I'm allowed to tell you what you can do. Well, I think that these particular exercises might help you get better faster, but I'm not allowed to, 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 uh, to deal with drugs because that's uh, within that's outside my scope and that's within a doctor's scope. So if you're going to look into uh, dealing with drugs and stuff, then you have to go see your medical doctor for advice on that. So, um, the other thing I think, um, people would want to know is like if they've never seen a Cairo and they're on Facebook and they see a video of a Cairo adjusting and it kind of looks aggressive and they're like, Oh my God, that Cairo is going to like break my spine or break my neck. So can a Cairo actually break someone's spine (laughs) or their neck in half? (laughs) Well, that's a good question. Uh, I know this gets brought up at, uh, at the clinic all the time. I get asked by patients, like, have you ever broken anyone's neck? And my answer is, well, no, I've never broken anyone's neck that at least I don't like. So, um, uh, the, the honest answer to, to that is uh, I know that I have colleagues that have studied the forces that go through, uh, through neck. Um, it is very, very difficult to injure someone with a chiropractic adjustment. Um, it, it's, uh, in terms of breaking someone's neck, it is virtually impossible. Let me ask you, have you ever seen any cases of people having their necks broken, not necessarily in chiropractic, but anywhere? No, not really. Right. Other so, than movies. Right. So most, that's what most people say is most people say, well, I remember when Rambo came up behind this guy and, or I remember when I saw Arnold Schwarzenegger in a movie and he went and broke this guy's neck and they fell over and they died. Right. Or I was watching a show last night that it, that it happened in and so well, that, that's great. But is there anything other than Hollywood that you've seen someone break their neck? And most people can't answer yeah, I have. So um, uh, I, I I sort of equate it to UFC. Uh, there's a lot of people that know what the UFC is and mixed martial arts is. Um, most of those fighters will put hundreds of times more force through uh, through their opponent's neck than I ever will. And uh, as far as I've understand, as far as I've seen, no one has had their neck broken in UFC. Uh, and again, I don't know the stats. I don't follow UFC, but, uh, as far as I understand, no one's had their neck broken in, in UFC. And again, they would put through hundreds of times more force than I ever would through, through a neck. So really it's, it's, uh, from a chiropractic perspective, it's virtually impossible to break someone's neck. I always also tell people that if your neck gets into an uncomfortable position, uh, usually you tense up. And at that point, uh, it's, impossible to to adjust you uh, a, a, a good analogy is if I came up behind you and I put you in a, in a headlock the first thing that you would do is you would contract your neck muscles so that I couldn't move or I couldn't uh, I couldn't uh, uh, do much with your neck uh, and uh, that's the same thing that happens if, if you're uncomfortable with with a chiropractic adjustment so you do need to be relaxed there's actually pretty low levels of force that go go through the neck uh, to adjust a joint uh, or to just joints and cervical spine. So yeah, it, it's 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 uh, as, as far as I've understand, it's pretty it's pretty. Uh, I've never heard of anyone having their neck broken by a chiropractor. So side story, but have you ever heard of that uh, surgeon that's doing the first head transplant? Like, did you ever see that or read that? Uh, I have heard of it. Uh, I <laughs> I haven't followed up with too much of it, but because yeah. I'm like curious, like. How- like, like they showed like a 3D version of like how they're going to take this guy's head off, put it on a donor's body. And I'm just thinking like the amount of nerves and like tendons and like every like and then like the spinal cord. I'm like, how the hell are they going to like fuse that together? So it doesn't like, yeah. So that, I mean, that would go back to like cellular growth. You would have to there would have to be a way to bridge cells together to allow cells to grow. So 
that uh, brain can function with spinal cord, um, you know, so uh, so it can control muscles and stuff like that. Uh, I, I, I'm curious about, because uh, I'm a little nerdy, but I, I'm curious about, like, a little bit more of the science behind that. Like, how do they fuse the spinal cord? How do they get the spinal cord to uh, interact one end with the other, right? Because it's yeah. not just like plugging in a plug to a light <laughs> socket. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's curious. Very curious. Um, so back to another question. Um, so what is the popping that people hear when they get their spine adjusted or neck adjusted? So that's another great question. Um, so I actually have a model in my clinic um, that uh, it's, a, it's a lumbar spine or low back model um, that does a little bit of a, a popper cavitation. Uh, and I usually explain to the to the patient with the model. Well, this is what a what a popper cavitation is. So when I'm explaining it, basically I say, well, have you ever stuck suction cups together or stuck a suction cup on a counter and then pulled it apart? Why does it pop? Well, it's air that's in a confined space, and when you move that air out of confined space, it moves up very quickly and it creates that the popper, the cavitation. Now. Within a joint, it's not air, it's synovial fluid. Uh, but if you go back to physics, uh, anything that, that moves, uh, any molecules that move freely is considered fluid, so it doesn't matter whether it's air or, or liquid. Uh, the synovial fr- fluid, when it gets compressed, uh, it gets stuck in a confined space. Uh, and the popping is just the movement of the synovial fluid out of a confined space, the, the joint itself. So that's all the all the popping is, and any synovial p- joint will pop. So it doesn't matter if it's a toe or an ankle. Your your body has uh, dozens of synovial joints. So popping your knuckles is no different than cracking your neck, uh, having uh, your knees pop, your ankles pop, shoulders, hips. They're all synovial joints, and the mechanism for cavitation or popping is all the same for any synovial joint. Okay. I think another thing um, I would like you to bring up is like after working with you, like I learned a lot about chiropractic treatment. And the cool thing is that, you know, when people have migraines or like severe headaches, like like sometimes I get them like they're in my eye and it's actually connected. So can you kind of like touch on why, you know, people might get headaches and then if you adjust them, they actually feel better after? Yeah, it's a it's a it's a great question. Um, I do have a number of patients, including a, a couple that I treated today that uh, come in for headaches. Uh, just to clarify a little bit, uh, true migraines or diagnosed migraines uh, based off of symptoms, uh, those would be people that suffer from uh, a severe headache. It's usually unilateral, um, so you kind of have to go with, with symptoms. It's usually one-sided. Uh, it's usually behind eye or sort of behind ear. Uh, it usually puts people out for uh, 48 to 72 hours. You have to be in a dark room. You usually have to take drugs for it. My success rate for treating true migraine sufferers uh, is it's it's not as great as cervicogenic headaches. Cervicogenic or tension type headaches are the feels like a vice grip on my head or it feels like I'm wearing a sweatband that's tightening. Um, I feel like I have pressure in behind my eyes. And part of the mechanism of that is you have this suboccipital muscle group. Uh, they uh, stiffen, tighten, whatever, uh, whatever you want to call it, uh, and they compress some of the upper cervical joints. Uh, compression of upper cer- of some of the upper cervical joints, it causes what's called a referred pain. Referred pain means pain coming from an area that is not necessarily related to the root cause. Uh, best example of referred pain is uh, a heart attack. So if you are having a heart attack, it's because some of your heart muscle is dying, yet your heart will actually refer pain to your chest, to your back, down your left arm, into your jaw, and up even behind your ear. There's nothing wrong with your left arm. There's nothing wrong with your actual chest or back. It's the referred pain. And what it is, is the pain is your brain's perception that something's wrong. And sometimes your brain gets confused as to where's this pain coming from? Well, let's just make this hurt. So when you get cervicogenic or, or tension type headaches, you get compression of upper cervical facets and that sends pain signals back to your brain. It's basically your uh, uh, cervical facets are yelling at your brain, there's something wrong, there's something wrong, there's something wrong, right? And your brain gets tired of hearing this yelling and says, okay, well, let's just make your head hurt. <laughs> and typically when you adjust the upper cervical facets, 
you get the good old the popper cavitation and patients typically with the tension type headaches sit up and go oh my goodness that feels so much better usually you get fairly immediate relief and usually you get uh, a fairly lengthy period of time where you where you don't get as as many headaches where you get decreased intensity of headaches so with cervicogenic headaches i, I, I typically find it takes you know, a, f- a handful of treatments uh, before people notice, like, oh my goodness, you know, I've been suffering from headaches for months or or, or, or years even, um, and just with a few treatments, hey, like, I don't have to take any drugs anymore. I feel great. So awesome. Yeah. And you also touch on like I think you did this to me where you were holding my head and you said to close like my eye and like move my eyeball and I could actually feel the muscle in the back of my head going over your finger, like how does that mechanism work? So that's great. That's a good question. So there are um, upper cervical muscles called the uh, suboccipital muscle group. Now, the anatomy books claim that some of those uh, upper cervical muscles, they attach from the base of skull to C1 and to C2. Uh, the, the anatomy textbooks claim that uh, those muscles will do rotation, lateral flexion, and they'll nod your head. Um, now, uh, from a more practical standpoint, well, maybe they do to a certain extent if they were the only muscles uh, that were able to create movement in, um, in upper cervical spine. But from a practical standpoint, um, what those muscles do is they actually stiffen to uh, create more congruency between your uh, occiput, your, your, your head, to your spine, to C1, to C2, um, so that it prepares those joints for movement. And so the example that I gave you is when you hear a noise, so I'm snapping my finger, the first, the first thing that your body does, because you can look faster than you can turn, is gaze at what that noise was and whether that noise is something that's gonna be threatening or is it just some guy snapping his finger. So you gaze over there and you get this contraction of the upper cervical or the suboccipital muscle groups to prepare for the big muscles, your traps, your erector spinae, your splenius capitis, your sternocleidomastoid, to do the movement of your neck to look at those particular uh, or look at whatever was causing the, the, the noise. So the example that you gave where I had you lying on your back, it works for most people, it doesn't work for everyone, is close your eyes right? Roll your eyes around or look back and forth with your eyes and the suboccipital muscle group flickers. And you can feel that if you feel right underneath the base of skull with the person lying supine or on their back, uh, if you're poking around uh, in the suboccipital muscle group. Now, the whole point of the reason that I have people do that is because look, you didn't move your neck at all. You just moved your eyes, right? So why are those muscles flickering when your neck isn't moving? Because it's preparing your neck to move based on which direction you're gazing with your eyes. Yeah, so. fair enough. Uh, the other thing I wanted to get into is, like, other than just treating the spine and neck, like, what else can chiros do for someone if they injured something else that doesn't involve their spine or neck? That's another great question. Is uh, And, again, this goes back to where I believe my profession is going and what I'm trying to do with, with myself as a practitioner is, is to treat anything neuromusculoskeletal, so anything pertaining to any joint any muscle, any nerve, any bone, right? So uh, in the clinic, I see uh, knee pain, uh, potentially maybe uh, ACL injuries, ACL tears, full tears, partial tears, meniscal tears, uh, MCL sprains, currently dealing with uh, and was treating uh, an MCL sprain due to uh, a skiing incident today in the clinic, Uh, ankle sprains, uh, lots we can do with ankle sprains as chiropractors. There's various uh, techniques, uh, including some modalities, some even physiotherapy type modalities that I use in the clinic that I can help with with ankle sprains. Um, another thing that I like uh, know I like people knowing what I do is uh, concussion uh, assessment and treatment of, of concussion. Uh, again, having going back to having suffered injuries and knowing what it's like to having suffer certain injuries, I've had numerous concussions myself. It's one of the reasons I decided to run a concussion program uh, as, as part of my scope of chiropractic 
was because uh, the last concussion that I had, which was uh, about uh, eight years ago, it took me about six months to fully recover. Part of the reason was because I had no idea what I was doing and there was no direction. Now, this was before Sidney Crosby had his uh, concussion, which sort of tripped the... uh, uh, concussion research and and uh, we have to thank Sidney Crosby for suffering concussions because there has been so much more research done on concussions because of him um, but uh uh, to help people. And again, I uh, had another patient in today that uh, has suffered concussion and uh, had been suffering for a couple of months. And uh, part of it is because the, he has no direction, doesn't know what he's doing. Um, and uh, so we're, we're putting him on a, on a plan to help him recover, to get him back to, to work and to sport, because that's one of his, his goals. So I like people knowing that that's part of my practice and, and what I do and, and how I can help. And, and one of my goals for 2018 uh, um, is to be uh, a premier local concussion clinic uh, for athletes uh, and uh, anyone else who suffers fr- from concussion to, to go to, uh, to be a resource uh, and to help people get back after concussion. So, so those are some of the other are techniques and things that I, that I do at, at the clinic. So it's not just cracking backs and cracking necks. <laughs> it's, uh, there's a lot more to chiropractic. And that probably sounds oddly similar to physiotherapy. And if I could sort of uh, go off on a tangent a little bit, I mean, I think it would be fantastic if chiropractic and physiotherapy, if there was a blended uh, degree where we called it uh, a doctorate of neuromuscular medicine, perhaps Mm -hmm. something or other. I realize it probably never happened in my lifetime, but uh, physiotherapists can do neck adjustments. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, in parts of Canada, chiropractic can do dry needling or uh, they can they can needle patients. Uh, why don't we all just work together? Yeah. <laughs> right. It's all yeah. we're all learning the same stuff. So, yeah, because it seems like there's a lot of crossover because like, you know, physiotherapists can do ART. You can do ART. And like I've been to physios where they adjusted my T-spine and like it's OK. But like comparing it to a chiro, like. The Cairo can do a better job, so it's like, yeah, meet in the middle somewhere, or like, I don't. That would be kind of cool to have a whole new, yeah, profession almost. Yeah. Right? So that's that's what emerging is. You know, what's the difference between physiotherapy and, and chiropractic? The best answer is depends on the physiotherapist or chiropractor that yeah. you go to. <laughs> so. Um, so what's kind of like the protocol for assessing someone with a concussion? Because like, I would assume there's a lot of like I don't know if there's like different levels of a concussion or anything like I don't know enough about it so like how do you assess someone who has a concussion or just like small little things yeah so current literature suggests there is no such thing as a mild moderate or severe concussion concussion is now like a light switch you have a concussion or you don't have a concussion if you have a concussion we will treat you as if you have a concussion if you don't have a concussion you can go back and and play you can you can do all your things um Concussion's a hard one to assess because there are a lot of what we call subjective symptoms. Subjective symptoms are things that you can't measure. So for instance, if you told me you had headache, dizziness, and nausea, I can't put you in an MRI, I can't take any blood tests, I can't do anything to measure your headache, dizziness, and nausea, I just have to take your word for it, right? And this is the part of the problem with concussion. Um, with a broken ankle, I can put you through an x-ray and oh, well clearly, there's a there's a break in the bone you can see it well now we know what we're treating but this is the issue with concussion is you might look fine but you might claim that you have these symptoms and i have to determine whether those symptoms are from concussion or whether there's symptoms from something else so even just dealing with a case today where uh, I believe that this patient had suffered a concussion, but I also believe that his current symptoms are actually related to upper cervical neck pain. Mm-hmm. And so we did an upper cervical, we did a, a, a treatment on his neck today, and he felt loads better after treatment on his neck. So I'm curious to see where he's going to be in the whole protocol or, or return to play uh, next week when I mm-hmm. uh, reassess him next week. So to get back to your question as to how to assess someone for concussion, Um, The concussion program that I run, uh, we do a battery of tests. So this test includes balance testing, reaction time, grip strength. Uh, We do cognitive scores, including memory scores and stuff like that. Um, 
And uh, it's best if I can get a baseline. So with most of the teams that I work with, I run through a baseline at the start of the year. So if there is a concussion, I can take a healthy sample and compare it to what the sample is post-injury. Uh, and if your healthy sample compares to your post-injury sample, well, you're good to go. Uh, my protocol, or at least the company that I work with with uh, concussion, is that even if you're one point off on any of your scores, I'm going to have to treat it as if a as if you do have a concussion and run you through the the protocol because I take on all the legal liability for concussion. Mm-hmm. Uh, it takes the liability off of the association and the coaches and 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 all of that, right? Um, because I'm trained. Um, but so for the assessment, we put you through the the battery. If I don't have the baseline testing, um, then I have to go with whatever your scores are. And I have to determine whether you have a concussion or not. Um, most of the time, I'm just going based off of history and mechanism. And history and mechanism kind of trumps everything. If I'm on the field and I see that uh, something looks like it's a concussion, you come off the field and you pass all the all the sideline tests, I say, sorry, you're coming into the clinic before I can clear you mm-hmm. to, to uh, go back on the field. Um, so mechanism typically trumps anything with, with concussion. If it, if it looks like concussion, if it smells like concussion, it's probably concussion. And the best part is let's treat it as if it is concussion. The interesting thing was when I talked to associations, to parents, to kids about concussion, if a concussion is managed appropriately, uh, you, can, you can virtually fully recover from a concussion. And if you get another concussion, it's not another concussion. It's not a concussion on top of it. It's considered an independent event. And that's kind of key, right? Where if you get, I mean, it's never good to get a concussion, but if you've had, I get parents that come to me like, well, I've had six concussions. You know, I'm going to be screwed when I'm 50 years old. And I, you know, I don't remember where I put my keys now. I can't remember your name. And I, and I kind of like, well, that depends. How many concussions did you have sequentially? Right? Were they all back to back, or did you have one year between concussions? Because even if you didn't know what you were doing, you probably would have recovered from a concussion uh, just based on the the time for recovery. So on on average, it takes about thirty days to cover recover from a concussion. That's what the research shows. Um, it usually takes about ten days before symptoms go away. So guess when most people go back, or when uh, a doctor or someone might send you back to sport. And your symptoms go away. Yeah. You're not getting any headaches. You're not getting any dizziness. Perfect. Well, then you're you're good to go back to sport. However, if you get another concussion between the 10 to 30 day mark, it's considered second impact, or it may be a second impact. And now you're looking at roughly 90 days to 120 days for full Jeez. recovery, right? So symptoms typically go away 60, 70 days. But now you have about you know 30 to 60 days where if you get another impact. You're looking at third impact, and each impact uh, recovery takes longer. And uh, by the time you get a third impact, we can't even determine how long it'll take. It may take it take, may take months to years to fully recover from that concussion. And it's interesting because when I sit down with athletes and uh, I, I, I on the sidelines, I know some of them get really ticked off. They say, "Well, you know, I want to go back in. Like I passed all your sideline tests." I'm like. You know, as your team doc, I can recommend that you don't go back in. I mean, if you want to go back in, I'll let you go back in, but that's your decision. I'll tell the coach that you're, you want to go back in, but think about this. If we fully recover from this concussion, right, it's going to be one month, right, to fully recover. It might even be sooner. And on average, what I found is a lot of my athletes, they recover roughly 20 days. Um, with uh, with treatment and, and appropriate management. Um, but yeah, let's take 30 days and recover from this because if you don't, we're looking at 90 days. Three months is most of a season for any given sport. If you want to take the risk, you go ahead, that's on you, right? So when I sit down with athletes and I put that across to them, a lot of times uh, I, I notice like, okay, well, then I'll come into the clinic and we'll, we'll, we'll do a reassessment and, and we'll fully recover, so... Um, so yeah, in terms of management, I have a 10 step return to play protocol and each step has to be 24 hours without any symptoms. Um, usually it takes longer than 10 days on average. What I found with most of the athletes is it's taking roughly 20 days to fully recover, no symptoms, and they have to pass a bunch of steps before they go back to a sport. And the last step is usually the toughest to, to, uh, pass. Uh, I always joke with the athletes like I'm looking to failure today because if you can pass this step, 
then I'm confident you can return to sport. So. Awesome. Uh, so I think that's a good place to stop there because we're already at an hour. So maybe for the last question, if you can tell the audience where they can find you online, if you're on Facebook, Instagram, and if you have anything you want to say or plug, you can just go ahead. That's awesome. <laughs> Thanks, Rebel. Well, first of all, I want to thank you for having me. It's been an honor. It's been a, it's been a pleasure. I mean, it's uh, it's uh, it's pretty awesome that you, you have me to, to do this. Um, so anyways, uh, if, if anyone's interested to find me, uh, if you if you look up Dr. Mark Maloney, uh, I should come up. There's not too many uh, Maloney's out there. The last name is spelled M-A-L-O-W-N-E-Y. Uh, my clinic is Rebound Sport and Spine. So I'm located out of uh, Langley, British Columbia in Canada. Um, and uh, the, the URL for the clinic is www.reboundclinic.ca. Uh, I'm also on Facebook. Uh, my Facebook is, is fairly active, and so is my Instagram. And both my Facebook and Instagram are at Rebound Clinic SS. Um, so, yeah, you can look me up. You can uh, see what I'm doing. Uh, you can see the teams I'm working with. And uh, if you have any questions, uh, I'm always happy to answer any questions pertaining to training, injury. I love chatting with like-minded individuals. Um, I can always be found, uh, if you look up my URL, that's www.reboundclinic.ca. Uh, my email address is there. Uh, you can always contact me there, or my email address is drmark, D-R-M-A-R-K, at reboundclinic.ca. All right, so that's going to wrap up episode 91 with Dr. Mark Maloney. Hopefully you enjoyed that one, as Mark is a good friend of mine, and he's very intelligent when it comes to rehab. And again, I'm going to say this every episode. Please, 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 please share this podcast with your friends and family, social channels, and anywhere else you want to send this thing to because it's going to make my job a lot easier spreading the message of fitness and health. And until next week, you guys, we'll see you then.